Hey guys, it's film pro- Oh shit, no it's not. It's Tuesday. That's right. And we're doing part two for There's Something Wrong With The Children. If you listened to the first half, I greatly appreciate it. It was so fun and so informative, just engaging about film that I didn't want to like chop it up and mess up, you know, the 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 rhythm of what we were talking about. So <laughs> as promised, here is part two of our conversation. Now, this is the part that normally comes at the end of the episode. So we're going to break down a couple more segments. I believe we're going to talk about some sound really quickly and towards the end we're going to get into our subjective viewpoint on what we thought about the film and that's when things are going to get a little bit interesting but anyway thank you guys for tuning in if you listen to that first one thanks so much here's part two i hope you enjoy it just as much as the first one um and we're going to get to our sub- subjective uh, point in a bit. But last but not least, I kind of want to. What about sound? So I'm not a sound uh, person. So I normally leave for last because I typically have the least amount to say about it. But I do feel as though I'm one of those people when something is really nice from a sound design or a score composition standpoint that I'm all about it. So wh- what are your thoughts on the um, sound design and score? So. Sound design, I, you know, I kind of appreciated the sound design and I think it's because the sound design really had kind of, had to kind of do the heavy lifting of the film. Um, and I think that, I mean, this, this, again, everything is so interconnected. You know, I think one of the things that kind of stood out to me about this is that this is a film that does a lot with a little, you know, yeah, I can kind of, t- well, I don't want to say it that like that, but it seemed to me that the budget for this project was probably pretty small. You know, they, mm. they don't, you know, there's, there's no real creature design in as much as like, you never, you never ever see the creatures, you know, you never, yeah. you know, they, they kind of allude to what they are, what they might look like, but the sound yes. is where it's doing all the heavy lifting because, you know, while you may not ever see what it really looks like, you definitely hear what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it, you know, and that, I mean, shoot, came down to you know the the way that they were chittering, you know, at the end or even in the beginning. Oh boy, that was creepy. Yeah, it is. And I, uh, it's 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 funny because I I watched it with the subtitles. Oh, same. Yeah, I I always have to watch films with subtitles. Um, Likewise, yeah. <laughs> I I feel as though it it, it helps us become better. From I used to not do it, but now I can't help but do it because I just I can't dis. I need it to help me stay in it, not in the in the sense that I'll get distracted, but to me, it adds that it's the additional element for me, you know. So I don't know, it's weird, but yeah, it's it is um, nice because sometimes, like sometimes, depending on the film, like it kind of saves it. Like sometimes, you know, if if the sound mix is a little off, if the mix is off, yeah, you can't quite hear that dialogue, or you know, so it's sometimes it's kind of it's kind of nice because it's like instead of having to be like, what was that, like. I'm like, okay, well, it's not getting lost for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I also like it because I, even though it's on streaming or DVD, I personally 
am not a fan of pausing and rewinding. I, I am like, no, you can't pause the film in a movie theater. So no, <laughs> let me let me hold my pee, do the pee pee dance right. in, in my seat yep. until I'm, I have no choice. My, it is so funny because uh, people that watch movies get annoyed with me because, you know, for exactly that reason, you know, when we're, you know, watching a movie on TV, you know, it's so funny. My mm. girlfriend gets so mad because she'll, you know, I'll be like, okay, once the movie is started, the movie is started. Like, <laughs> it's started. <laughs> this train is does not stop. <laughs> this, train, this, this train does not stop. I, my girlfriend is the same way. And then, like, she'll like, are you in the middle of uh of watching a movie? Y- yes. Can you start again? Now you know good and well <laughs> that. Ah, oh. this movie started. I've at done it from time tonight. to time. It's not my thing. I know yeah, the showtime. That's how it goes. You already missed the t- the ten minutes of previews. Um, but no, yeah, I definitely agree with the sound design. It was one of my favorites. One of the once again that to me this harkened back to a very even though it was shot in twenty twenty three. I still feel as though it had that early nineties horror film feel to it from the way the camera work moved and the sound design because one of the things that really upsets me about a lot of horror films this day and age is everything is fucking loud and just in your face or whatever you know and i just love when a film uses the sound design for suspense what i think is ironic is that on imdb pro they put horror mystery but there's they didn't even label suspense now, that depends on, I'm assuming, the production company, what they want to label it as. But I definitely feel as though this particular film was much more suspenseful than horror. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in the best way possible. I've quoted the Alfred Hitchcock thing on previous episodes. So I won't do it again, guys, for all your listeners out there. But suspense is where it's at. Like, every, no matter what your film is, you need suspense. But I feel that horror really need suspense and suspense isn't about loud noises and scary shit and you mentioned that they didn't really show the creature and i as i've mentioned on this podcast before i am a huge fan of using the imagination even when it comes to film show me a fucking little bit let me create it in my head because whatever i create in my head and mine is going to be based off of my own personal experiences and it's going to be worse than whatever it is that you show me whatever cgi thing you show me unless you have you know a great creature designer working on you know what i'm saying unless you got geiger working or the the i forgot his name got the ponytail but a lot of times i feel as though films like was it super eight i was along for the ride and then they showed the monster and I was like, fuck me. I have no cares about this film anymore <laughs> because what I pictured was so much worse than what you just showed me. Thanks for screwing this up, you know, and I've always felt like that. And you made that was one of the things you brought up. And that's one of the things that I liked. I did like the shadow thing and it was some insectoid kind of thing which i'm assuming is that i did because they kept talking about bugs 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 was kind of the motif throughout it and i loved that they didn't show it because what would they've done show the cgi fucking grasshopper thing and it would have been like well it's fucking ruined now see you know i would have been so pissed i actually so it's interesting because i actually you know i have kind of like an alternative school of thought on this so mm-hmm. you know one of the things that i think is really interesting now again like i think you know, when it's, you're in a situation where, you know, you kind of have that limited budget, you know, it mm-hmm. is, 
it's much more effective to leave it up to the imagination because if you if you really don't have the budget to you know to make that you know yeah. scary monster the way you want to make it or you know you don't you know aren't able to hire those VFX artists to to you know render this you know this horror into life you know then it is probably mm. much more effective than you know to just half do it mm. to just leave it up to the imagination but that said i will say that i was i was actually a little bit bummed that we didn't get a little bit more of it and i didn't mm. necessarily need to see it all the way you know, I didn't necessarily need it to go full, you know, Cronenberg the fly. <laughs> I just watched. It's funny. I, he, we actually, which one did you watch? I watched, I watched uh, Cronenberg's the fly actually not too long ago. So that one's, you know, that's, nice. that's still fresh in the brain. I need to redo that. I actually did uh, Infinity Pool by, by Brandon Cronenberg, his son. So that was episode three or four or something like that. So it's funny you said that because I was talking earlier about the Cronenberg. The Cronenbergs on some other shit, but go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I love the Cronenbergs. Uh, I, you know, of course, I, I was familiar with David's work first, and and you know, mm. had watched you know some of his earlier films, and then I found uh, the I haven't watched Infinity Pool yet. I did watch Possessor, which is Possessor. A, that's on the list too. That's a really fun film. It's um, it is interesting. It is, and I like it because where I feel like, you know, the Cronenbergs excel is is you know. Like David Cronenberg was a master of body horror, but yeah. he was also really good at you know kind of kind of crafting these films that that use body horror in a way that it's like okay, but it isn't a it isn't necessarily about the body horror. It isn't necessarily yeah. about the horror of the body and and what the body turns into, but about why. Yeah, you know, what is the thing that pushes the body to do that? And one of the things I really liked about Possessor when I watched it is, I feel like Brandon you know, got that from his dad and, and really understood that. And, you know, Possessor was, it is, you know, there are elements of body horror in it, but then it's also mm. very much about, you know, the why, you know, how it gets mm. to that point. Yeah. That that was on my list. Um, I had my first special guest, Tyler, who's my writing partner. He co-wrote the Bum My Pay Grade. He loves the Possessor. He keeps telling me about it. And it's on my list. I haven't watched it yet, but it's definitely on my list. But I love the fact that you said that there's always a why, like, the fly, like you were saying, with Jeff Goldblum. That's when I first was like, well, I guess not first. It was the one that he had. Earth Girls Are Easy was the first time I saw Jeff Goldblum. But yeah, in the fly, like you said, it wasn't about just grossing out for gross out sake or just to be nasty or weird. It, it served a purpose, you know, and once again, and that kind of connects back to, at least for me, what we're saying difference between suspense and horror like horror you're just doing something just to get an immediate reaction and then it's fucking over but for suspense you're doing it to to alter someone's thoughts and feelings about something for a longer duration of time something suspenseful and creepy is going to stick with you so much longer than something that's just scary you know like most horror films like the nun 2 oh my god uh. that <laughs> oh my gosh ah oh, i still i watched that one i'll probably uh i'll do um that might be a halloween special episode but god i oh, oh, fucking hated that movie <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so bad but anyway yeah like the nun two well both of them but they're all just scary you know mm -hmm. and it's james wan mm -hmm. another one is james wan things but i feel like it's overstated it's welcome but suspense the suspense ones in there oh you know, for example, Saw 10X, whatever, has come out recently. That's a horror film 
that was another creation of James Wan. That was apparent. Uh, did you, uh, for those who don't know, James Wan, he's the one, if you like super movies, he did Aquaman. But before that, he was the creator of Saul, uh, the Saw franchise. And he was like Saw. I think they might have called it, maybe he called it Jigsaw, but it was his senior project for film school or something along those lines. And then he made the film into it. So, yeah, that's a little bit uh, on James Wan. But for Saw, like it, it, it played, especially the first one, as it got further along, it, I think it it tipped too much into body horror. It was just more so about what's the most gruesome fucking thing you do. And before, like especially the first one, which I really loved the first Saw when it came out because it was unexpected. I was not expecting Tobin Bell to get the fuck up and he had that gravelly fucking voice. And But it wasn't, to me, that Saw wasn't about the body torture and the blood and guts. It was about the choices that people make to get them there. And literally they had a choice to make in that circumstance as well, which is why I really liked the first one. It wasn't about the body horror. Once you got to like three and four, they're just like, Oh, how can we decapitate somebody or rip out somebody's tongue? It was like, Oh shit, it's gone. You the now James Wan for the record, anybody who's listening has not been directing the you know the, all of those i don't know if he's back for 10 or not but would you agree is you know is that kind of sort of along the same lines of what you're saying as far as just doing horror just for or body horror and nastiness just for doing it for shock value absolutely and i think in you know and again like you know one of the things i think is is that you know again like it's all about the intent. You know, what is the thing that you want people to take away from your film? You know? Mm. So if you're, you know, like body horror, again, I think is that it's most effective is, you know, again, when it's, it's not necessarily about doing it just to grow somebody out, but when you're, you know, pairing it with, you know, again, like, you know, how do, you know, what, like, how did the choices that the characters make lead them down, you know, that, kind of rabbit hole you know to to that path so you know one of the things that i thought you know that this movie did really well is is that again you know it it doesn't really feel like it needs to rely on that to get the point across you know because it's Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily what the movie is about that said what i think is i think i would have liked to see a little bit more of the creature because i kind of feel Hmm. like the movie gives you a little bit of taste of what you know the creatures are kind of capable of you know yeah but i think one thing it doesn't it doesn't really you know it kind of leaves with a little more questions and answers and so you know kind of one of the things that i Definitely. you know kind of left the movie feeling is just like well what are they you know like what like the, the so you know they kind of give this idea that you know they can they can shape shift a little bit that they're, you know, they're disguised in human form, but that they, you know, can take their their true insect form. And I think one of the things that I was kind of really looking for is, you know, to see, you know, what is the potential, you know? Because mm, I think okay. that that's the thing, you know, that kind of makes seeing the monster a little bit. You know, you don't need to yeah. overdo it. And especially, again, especially if the, you know, the, the costume design isn't there, if the budget's not there, you know, you, you don't yeah. really want to show the monster too much because, you know, the, the more you show it, the more apparent the flaws become. Yes, definitely. But I do think that there are times when it is good to show it just a little bit so that you can kind of give somebody, you know, the impression of, of like, what is the full potential of these creatures? 
you know. It's like leading them into it. I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, you know, I've never, I haven't heard, I know like some mutual friends of ours, the Wages of Sin guys, they love to see the monster. <laughs> um, yep. And I, I'm normally the opposite, but they also haven't explained it like that. So I definitely get what you're saying. I think it's just, I've been screwed one too many times by a bad <laughs> creature effect or costume. And you were probably right. I don't know if Jason Blum from Blumhouse uh, still has the same thing, but he has some interesting podcasts and interviews on horror films and how to make them properly and how to make them successfully. And I remember one of them being saying that he makes them cheap. And part of the reason is not only from a business standpoint, the potential for, earning back is a lot higher but then it's also can allow uh more there's less risk of you know if if a 300 hundred dollar movie like you know the flash uh fails then that's a risky fucking thing but if something that's only 20 mil fails then it's not okay you know what i mean and i remember him saying something along those lines don't quote me now about that so by being a blumhouse uh film i'm pretty sure like you said it was of a smaller budget but what i do like about so you're probably correct in not showing that creature but what i do like which you already mentioned was what they utilized with said budget and i do think like you mentioned the chittering from the sound design was a huge huge thing and putting you off kilter especially like when they first whispered to each other and did it and i was like that's fucking weird i it was something new that i have not experienced like this is my not purposely but this is my second film with creepy ass fucking kids um but it was the first time i've seen off the top of my head something like that in the way they did it so i thought that was kind of cool and pretty interesting and that green eyes and everything else, like I said, giving that that old school feel. So, yeah, there was one moment that I wasn't a big fan of and it's super small. So it didn't ruin anything, but it was like a score moment. And it was right uh, when Ben and Margo were arguing and then she walked away or something. And the music kind of kicked in really in your face. We're like, whoa, that was a bit much. So much. So it was like, was that were you tr trying to do a jump scare because it was just b-roll after that of them walking away so i thought that was that for me was the most awkward for lack of a better term um sound piece that happened throughout the thing other than that i'm comfortable and i liked every aspect of it from the the score the sound design the score like i said giving that that old school vibe to me that old not quite like a was it uh, Friday the 13th not necessarily but it gave me some of that old feeling you know what I mean and what I and I will say the one thing that I kind of really liked about the sound design and you know especially you know kind of the direction it goes and you know about them kind of being the the insectoid kind of bug creatures is you almost think it's just a little bit subversive you know because mm. you know from the title and you know obviously you know they're foreshadowing it so much in the beginning but, yeah. you know, just from the title and, you know, she's wearing the little devil costume, you almost think that this is something, you know, with some kind of religious overtones. And, you know, so, you you know, you almost think it's going in the more kind of like you know, ah. possessed or like a satanic route. But then when he starts yeah. chittering, you're like, oh, that doesn't necessarily it doesn't sound demonic. You know, it doesn't scream like yeah. demon. So, but yeah, it, I definitely it, kind of got like 
wood nymph, like old school fairy tale mm-hmm. kind of feel. You know, even like say, even with that fucking red hoodie, little red, little red riding vibes. You know, because a lot of our, you know, what are those called? Fairy tales and whatever were based off like Germanic stories that were not sunshine and rainbows like americans think it is like they were pretty kind of dark the grim uh grim brothers or whatever anyway but yeah so it had that to me a fairy tale kind of quality definitely that i'm sorry sorry for interrupting but yes i agree and i i feel like that fairy tale thing was weird how they did it you know sorry no not at all i i mean i agree it's like it's it's definitely it definitely almost just kind of throws you off a little bit because it's, you know, you're, you're just, it, it, I almost feel like it kind of sets you up for one thing because, you know, Mm. especially like, you know, towards the beginning of the film, you know, when they, they start kind of messing with Ben, you know, there's nothing about it that screams at you. This is an insect in a human's body. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're just really, and I feel like they, they try to mislead you almost into the path of an unreliable narrator situation almost. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So there's just, there's all these kind of elements that, you know, feel like they're kind of gearing you for one thing and then it kind of almost takes you in a different direction. And so, Mm. and again, I think that's, you know, kind of one of the areas where, you know, the sound design really flourishes is because, you know, again, once they, you know, man, it gets to that kind of midway, almost to the ending point and you hear them start doing that chittering and it's like, what is happening? (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. All righty. Well, we're going to take a quick break here and then we're going to come back and we're going to do what is typically my favorite part because we just get to openly talk about it. We may swerve back into some of the stuff we already talked about, but when we come back, we'll do our breakdown of what we felt about there's something wrong with the children. All righty, guys. So thank you so much for listening to the first portion of our post-production segment so now we're really getting into what we feel about there's something wrong with the children by miss roxanne benjamin now before we um i turn the the tables it's not turning tables what is that turn turn the mic over what have you um over to we're 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 recording this at like midnight guys so um miss roxanne benjamin uh man i was just mentioning in the pre-production segment uh last week's episode was clock it was by Miss Alexis Jacknow. It's on Hulu. If you haven't watched that chance, you should watch it. It's fucking amazing. And what I thought was super fucking cool about this, it was purely coincidental, was I just watched two back-to-back horror films that are bar none above a lot of fucking horror films that I've seen as of late. And both of them by women directors and i get really fucking excited about that and i'm maybe you know i hope this is a fucking fantastic way to keep going because i don't know what it is miss alexis jack now who did clock that was her feature film debut and that shit was bad ass so to have two back-to-back that are this good i'm excited about it it's it's like i'm giggly about it because we need i sincerely feel as though we need more diversity in filmmaking um from in front of the camera behind the camera whatever we need fresh voices and stop having the same shit over and over another remake and another sequel and a reboot so i really really like this film i'm not going to keep talking i'm just turning it over to you what did, what did you think about it 
So this film, this film sits in a really kind of interesting place for me because there's so much about it that I love and that I think really, really works. But then there's also a few things about it that kind of don't really work for me as well. Mm, okay. So, you know, I, I think kind of one of the biggest things for me is, is that, you know, kind of I get to the end of the movie and I, I realize that, you know, obviously I have a lot more questions than answers, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and obviously, you know, you get to the end of the film and you can tell that that's the intention, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is one of those films that like, you know, we're not interested in, 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 you know, telling you the lore and the backstory, you know, we're not, we're not going to go into what the pit is, yeah. why the pit is there what these creatures are, where they came from, are they aliens? Similar to what you're saying, more questions than answers, like you said in the earlier segment. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And and so, you know, it, it's it's interesting because, you know, sometimes, you know, you get you get those answers, those questions, and, and they're never as satisfying as the questions themselves, you know? Because, again, yeah, it's like you yeah. said before, you know, when you, you kind of let your imagination go, you know, and, and just kind of create your own ideas and your own theories you know it, it could be that you know what i'm thinking it is might might just be you know worse in my head than than you know what you know what they might tell me it is you know what i mean mm -hmm. so yeah you know kind of letting those fantasies run you know is almost just you know it's just more effective than just spelling it all out and saying this is what it is yeah I agree. And th that's definitely like you mentioned more questions than answers. But honestly, uh, I I feel as though now I appreciate that even more that I've gotten older because of like what you said uh, moments ago. Sometimes the answer isn't what you expected. And I feel as though that can ruin it more than not. You know, if that if that makes sense, like spoon feeding me every little thing is going and this is just my personal thing i prefer those kind of films that are kind of open-ended and not open-ended because you were too lazy to think of anything but just open-ended where the 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 conversation can continue afterwards like i feel as though a lot of films are out there and if they're open and shut then you know when you're talking the whole impetus for this podcast is you know me and my friends we would go watch a film and I'm sure you've done it as well. And you just sit there and talk after the movie on the curb in the parking lot for 20, 30 minutes about the film, you know, if the film stays with you. And that was kind of sort of what I wanted to establish with this whole podcast idea. So I really like the more questions than answers personally, because if it's spoon fed and A to Z and is tied with a bow to me they're like oh you like the movie yeah it was good i like this 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 all right yeah and there's not there's there's really nothing to talk about there's nothing to talk about it's over it's done and, and you walk past and instead <clears throat> to this is almost the, the uh, open-ended to me or more questions at the end of a film for me is almost like the film version of water cooler talk you know you watch a show a tv show and then the next day at work you sit around and you're talking about the episode of the sitcom but for me the more open-ended movies like that continue that conversation movies like uh inception like i was working at the movie theater as a manager there and me and the other managers were talking about it for fucking weeks and i was like debating with people who came to see it more than one time and it was that continued conversation about it not only was it a good film but that open-endedness, and I feel as though it also veered on, are you pessimistic, are you realistic, are you optimistic, or what have you? And that's personally why I like the more open-ended kind of things. 
And I think like you just mentioned earlier, a lot of times because of the spoon fed then this or for, too formulaic or I can guess. I remember watching this film and 20 minutes into it, I was like, I have no idea where this fucking film is going. Like no idea. And even when we got to the part when Spencer died, what, maybe two thirds into the movie at towards the end of the second act, he died. And I was like, oh, shit, they killed the little boy. Like, I thought he was dead for real. At first, I thought he was going to come back. And he's playing a joke. But then he was dead for a hot little minute. And I was like, OK, I have no fucking idea what's going to happen with this movie. But I kind of like that because I can be surprised as opposed to, oh, this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And then you get proven right. You know what I'm saying? If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. See, and it's interesting because I actually I actually felt kind of the opposite way about it hmm. because and I'll tell you why, because. You know, so there's this kind of, you get this kind of feeling that they set up earlier in the film of, you know, they're starting to mess with Ben, you know, mm-hmm. and, and oh, yeah. we want to play a game. And then as it goes a little bit further, you know, the, the girl, she says, you know, Lucy, she says, uh, she says, you know, I, I want to play a game, you know, let's play a game. And she starts with Margaret and then it goes to the mom and then it goes to the dad. And so I kind of got the impression that, you know, it, it was kind of going that direction of almost like a zombie kind of outbreak where it's like they're, they're mm. kind of turning them more and more. And so because because of that, when Spencer dies, I was surprised because I wasn't sure, you know, how far it was going to go. You know, yeah, I was yeah. I was waiting for the horror moment where, you know, Spencer pops up and he stabs the mom and everybody's like, oh, my God. And you a know, loud noise. Bam! Yeah. Right. Almost like yeah. evil dead fashion. But mm-hmm. see, when she starts, you know, she kind of starts smiling, you know, the, the girl, the sister, you know, mm. she kind of starts smiling and, you know, she's, you know, she's playing these mind games. And to me, that was almost the signifier that I was like, I knew that I, I felt like I knew that Spencer wasn't really dead because if she was trying to get, you know, more people to, to effectively be a part of the hive, you know, join the hive, you yeah, know, yeah. To, to go with the insect kind of motif there. That Oh, I like that. Join the hive. Yeah, that was nice. Exactly. And and so, you know, it, that if, if that was the direction it was going to go, then if Spencer was dead, then the reaction would have been more angry and a little more violent and a little more reactionary but see i felt like because i knew that she was smiling and still playing the game that it wasn't that spencer couldn't really be dead oh uh, okay so you i see what you're saying you're using the game um motif that they mentioned i i thought what you were saying as far as increasing i didn't think necessarily increasing the hive but i to me i was like okay well the point is just to essentially do what they kind of sort of did, which was to kind of kill everybody or whatever. And I, and I guess I, maybe I was still hard up on the unreliable narrator. Like, okay, is this plane in his head? Like they showed him taking the lithium, you know, um, tablets and everything else. So, and that's why I was saying like the misdirects for me, the lithium being the red herring in the situation, um, red herring people. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but it's essentially like a, like a magic trick for lack of a better term. Like uh, they show you the left hand when stuff is happening on the right, the left hand doesn't, it doesn't matter what the left hand was doing essentially. But um, so I, I didn't know if the lithium was a red herring at that point in time. I, I think I, for, for my um, beliefs, I think I was moving closer to the unreliable narrator 
and that he actually died. So that's why I didn't think that it was, you know, the um, increasing the hive kind of thing. I was just like, okay, which one? But also, I do love unreliable narrator films personally. So that might have been why I leaned more towards that. So that's and see, once again, this is why I like to do this podcast because th- that's a that's a an angle I didn't even think about before you know and if i didn't talk to you about it right now i would have continued on with my thought process but yeah that's a great point you just brought up though and see it's interesting that you know you kind of talked about the lithium because that was so for me that was kind of one of the other things that i wanted to mention is because you know you talked about the lithium and you know that being a red herring and you know kind Mm -hmm. of creating some intentional misdirection i think honestly it was that that was one of the big plot elements that kind of didn't work for me oh okay Um, because because it was exactly that it was nothing more than a red herring it Mm. is one of those things that it doesn't really factor into the plot in any meaningful way other than to basically manufacture the tension yeah yeah it feels like it's manufactured because you know again like you know there's this kind of illusion in the beginning where you know lucy says you know you can see the brightness too and it means you know it means that you have a secret too and you know whatever that secret is it's never really revealed you know you get this illusion that you know there's something not all right with ben either yeah yeah Yeah. but it never really comes back around to that and they never really yeah. reveal yeah. what that is. So really, you know, at the end of the day, what it really just feels like is that Ben is there and Ben kind of has this, these mental issues so that when things start happening, you basically just don't know who to believe. Yeah. yeah. I see what but you're then, saying. Yeah. But then that's it. You know, again, that you know, you know, it turns out that Ben was right, but at the end of the day, he's not really vindicated because he ends up joining him anyways. And, you know, he also kind of becomes, you know, one of the, the insectoid creatures. So he's not, he's never really vindicated. You know, you, you never get the mm. sense that like, you know, I kind of thought that there was going to be this theme at the end of the film where they were building to this idea that, you know, it's important to, you know, to believe people, you know, if, you know there was this kind of you know moment where he's he's really upset because he's seeing these things that nobody else is seeing and he ends up being right like he's not yeah. wrong yeah by the end of the film but the the film doesn't really do him that justice because you get to the end of the film and you know I was really kind of hoping that by the end you know it's almost like a lesson learned you know margo's like I should have trusted you I should have been there for you I should have supported you mm. I should have believed you Mm. but it gets to the end and you know he's not really vindicated because he just becomes one of the monsters too ah i see what you're saying saying. yeah Yeah. so it seems to me that really that you know him having the mental health disorder and you know him taking the lithium it's really there just as a plot device to manufacture that kind of tension and suspense you know is he is he unreliable isn't he unreliable but by the end you know you you get the sense that he wasn't unreliable at all, yeah. but the medicine was just there to make you think that he might have been. He might have been, yeah. It's, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because I was watching, I happened to be watching this one with my girlfriend, <clears throat> and some of um, Margot's, Margaret's actions to me weren't 
quantified. Like one of the things like you talked about, we were just talking about the lithium being the red herring. Like when she started, so Spencer chokes to death, right? And like one of the issues I had with it was the the choking happens. And this is the the big, you know, the act two, you know, climax or what have you. And you're watching it. And I'm like, these are a bunch of dumbasses. Like the parents are saying that they shouldn't be raising kids, essentially, kind of sort of or ill prepared. But Thomas comes in, grabs his daughter, which is understandable. But no one tries to call 911. No one's, you know, you call 911. I'm getting in the fucking car. We're going to try to save. And I thought that was a big issue for me. But what really ticked me off, just going back to the whole like the unreliable narrator thing, because I kind of agree with what you're saying, especially as you started mentioning it more and more, because this goes into my issue I had with her character. I feel like she turned her back on her husband way too fast. Like Spencer died. The little girl pointed to her and then like she was like get the fuck out uh the other the best friend and at first we're like are these people married like ben and margo and i saw the ring we're like no they are married and they're talking about having kids literally like you know a scene or two before this and then there's you're not trying to figure out what happened you're not trying to calm everybody down you're not even going after him to figure out what the hell happened you just let him just walk off into the fucking you know uh midday and is being blamed for the death of Spencer. And more importantly, like I'm not like, uh, you know, a EMT or whatever, but I am fairly certain that one of the first signs of like choking is, you know, not being able to speak. If somebody can speak, they're probably not really choking. So gasping for air, not being able to speak a lot of time, grabbing at their neck. And what I thought was a nice touch by the makeup department was the makeup, the subtle change in makeup of the boy, like the lips turning blue or whatever. And I was like, well, that's a sign of fucking asphyxiation, guys. You adults. We're doing the CPR fine, but no one tried to look inside the mouth to get anything out. But anyway, even if, okay, panic mode sets in and you don't think to do that. Why does she flip out so much? For Like, she just let her husband get like, all right, bye. You just killed somebody. You killed this kid. I'm just like, but he choked. You can look at it and tell that he fucking choked. What are you talking about? And then the whole lithium thing, like the red herring that it was. I was watching me and my girlfriend like, this doesn't make any sense. Why the fuck is she flipping out? Like, this is her dude. Like, they've been together for a little bit, at least enough to, you know, get married or engaged at the very least. No, he had a ring on, too. So, yeah, married and talk about raising kids in two scenes before. So then our thoughts were like, well, what the fuck happened before he got on the lithium or when he was off or whatever the case may be? And once again, that goes back to the red herring that you were t- speaking of. That was just in her just because, because now that you said that, that makes sense. Because I was pissed off. Like I said, I'm thinking unreliable narrator scenario. Why the fuck is she flipping out on her husband like this? No one's like, I can understand the parents. Their kid just died after they admitted to the kid missing. But she just kicked him to the curb. And that shit didn't make sense to me until what you said. Then it's like, yep, that makes sense now. They just threw it in there kind of sort of as as a truthful misdirect and i was hoping that it was more to it i guess if that makes sense no absolutely and and i think and and to me i think that that was kind of a common thread for me with this movie is 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 this kind of feeling of well i kind of thought there was going to be more to that you know another thing that you mentioned is is the conversation that they had about wanting to have kids yeah that is that was kind of a huge 
issue for me because, you know, the movie starts out with conversations about them having kids and, you know, then there's the, you know, there's all the issues that they have, you know, once they're taking, you know, they're kind of watching over the kids and then the kids mm-hmm. there in the morning and then the parent, you know, they have the big fight with the parents because the parents are like, you know, you guys are, you know, worried about having kids. You guys are unfit to be parents anyway. You know, there's that whole kind of thing. And so there's this really strong focus on, you know, what it is to be a good parent. Yeah. But it kind of never comes around to that. Oh, my God. I sincerely, dude. I that was one of the things I was going to bring up because I thought that that was going to be one of the underlying, like you said, like things about it. Like, is this a a, a commentary on people who are being who are ready to be kids and those being forced to have kids and the pressures, of, which is coincidental because clock had a lot to do with like the biological clock of women of women and societal familial pressures and spousal pressures to have a kid. So I felt like you were just saying along the same lines, like, is this where this is heading? Where's the commentary on that? Not saying every film has to have a commentary, but I felt as though they were going to dig into that a little bit more. And then it didn't really happen. My only thing would be at the end, because I feel as though like they had the um, uh, Ellie, not Ellie. Was that Ellie? Yeah. Ellie brought up. Uh, oh, she tells me everything. Maybe she just doesn't want to have kids with you, Ben. So to me, for that little exchange after they made it to losing the kids, well, like, okay, he wants to have kids. She necessarily doesn't. Is it that she doesn't because of his mental disorder and she's afraid that her kids may get it or blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, he ended up getting his kids in the form of the creepy kids. Was the loose bow tie around the kid commentary at least I thought, like, okay, well, he got his kids. It's weird, but sure, whatever. You know what I mean? So I, I did feel like that could have been stronger. That's kind of an interesting perspective because it's, you know, in a way, like, you know, it becomes, yeah, I think as the film goes on, it becomes more and more apparent that she's kind of fighting against it. And when you put it into that context, it definitely seems like, you know, this that could be the case where, you know, her struggle against the kids could be viewed as her struggle against the, you know, the pressures of becoming a mother. Yeah. And so, you know, when you see Ben with the kids at the end, and that's an interesting way of putting it, uh, how you said, you know, he kind of gets his kids in the form of, you know, the, the creature, creatureified children, you know, mm-hmm. and then she goes to fight them, you know, maybe that's her, maybe that's supposed to be emblematic or symbolic of her finally accepting that she does not want to have kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's a really interesting viewpoint and it's not something that I think I got on, you know, my initial viewing of it. Um, Mm. but I think now that talking about it, I mean, I think that makes a little bit more sense. I will say, I do think, you know, there's a level at which I think that you know, that symbol that symbolism was was probably lost on me a little bit, but I do think, <laughs> I do think that it, it could have been maybe strengthened that point yeah. just a little bit. Oh yeah, I definitely feel as though that was like I feel as though that explanation I gave, and not just because I said it. I don't feel like it's a stretch, but I feel as though I came about that 
trying to figure out what was the point of this. They kept talking about kids, kids, kids. Like kids was such a huge fucking factor, and it's even in the in the um you know in the title. And I was watching my girlfriend. I was like, oh man, this is this is like this is literally like a fear of mine like other people's kids is a fear for me because you like you don't know these what they're capable of and you're not responsible for them or whatever but that was me trying like you said i don't think it was super evident or clear that that's what it was about and i might be reaching a little bit but that was the only way i could quantify or rationalize the lithium things and her reaction and even in the beginning it was one of the things that i almost missed ellie her Ellie and Margaret were sitting down and they were just catching up. She was like, so how's Ben? And I was like, that's an interesting question. She was like, uh, he, he's, he's doing better or fine or whatever she said. And however they did it, which kudos to the two actresses and the director for that, it gave me pause. I was like, that's a weird way to ask and answer that question for a group of friends. Like I felt as though something was amiss with Ben. And that was the only way I could quantify putting all of these little pieces together. Was it super strong? Not necessarily. But in, I guess, my my um, <laughs> my optimistic hopes that they just weren't throwing a bunch of shit in there. Just like, surprise, psych, psych, psych. You know, just trying to throw in twists left and right. That's the only thing that I can can come up with kind of sort of. But it's also because I like the, the narration. Like I said, the character thing, like the Changeling Kids was a cool like that's the vibe i got from it but i like and once again this is i think this is the the cool interesting part like you said you wanted to see the creature and to me it was like okay because even like the chittering like she sees the shadows of the creatures can be in a far stretch like just not saying that she was like tripping or whatever else but it can be interpreted as in like the evils of other people's kids or whatever or just her deep-rooted fear of kids possibly or something like that and that was that was the connection i was trying that i was making or trying to make to thread everything together because there like you said there was a bunch of things that happened i was like all right that doesn't make fucking sense okay but there's got to be a reason for this right there's got to be a reason for her just to like kick him out the house and not care and then he's creeping out near the cabin and she's like no don't come and then she goes to the cabin with him then she flips out on him and then he turns towards the pit and then she's like i'm so sorry i'm like what is happening with her right now and like i'm curious and this is my made-up head in my mind and this might be the actor part of me as well so me thinking it was an actor I'm like, okay this is probably what's in the script her worry about him with the lithium and you know and is he having another mood swing or whatever and it's bad enough he has to be on prescription pills so to me i'm like oh was was her father abusive did he have mood disorders and then that's part of the reason why she may not want to have kids with him and part of the reason why she was like hey are you good maybe you should lay lie down we don't need a repeat of what's happening and you know about the the stuff that i had to deal with growing up and maybe that's because of me as an actor, like that is some of the stuff I would probably build into my backstory that's not written in the page in order for me to have a reaction to him like that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and so and that's it's kind of interesting that you say that because, you know, kind of so one of the things, you know, that I one of the things that I noticed is, you know, so the, the runtime for this movie is about what, an hour thirty four. Um, so it's a, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very tight 90 mm -hmm. minutes of film 93 it's, it's, a, it's yeah. a tight yeah. 90 and yeah. so there's a you know there's a couple of things you know that at a certain level you know i think that might have actually you know usually you know 
you want to try to keep, you know, your film concise and, you know, you, you kind of don't want to pepper in too much because you really just want to get the yeah. point across. But I think this is one of those films that might have actually benefited from, you know, an extra, geez, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of runtime just for some mm. extra context. So mm. that's one of those things that I think could have really benefited, you know, seeing just a little bit more of Ben and Margot enough to give us some context you know, yeah, to give us that kind of yeah, context agreed. to to build to that. Another thing that I think this film would have really benefited from is a little more context on the kids because, you know, so the, the whole thing is is that, you know, after they visit the pit, you know, their behavior is supposed to start changing and becoming more weird and, you know, more unsettling. Yeah. But uh, they're pretty fucking weird from the get-go. They're fucking weird from the fucking start. <laughs> This little chick was kicking the fuck out of this dead bird. And I was like, what is wrong with this bitch? She is. And he just picked up. I'm a grown ass man. And I'm not picking up a nest of dead fucking baby birds. That's just not happening. This little kid was like, oh, they're dead already. And she is curb stomping this fucking pigeon. And I was scared and laughing at the same time for that. (laughs) But you're right. Yeah, the kids were kind of like that from the beginning. Yeah. It's horrifying, and I mean, you know, again, like, you you kind of never see... So, like, one of the things, you know, I think, personally, one of the things that, you know, maybe was a little bit weaker for me is it's like, you know, you you don't really have time to sit with the kids enough to know when their behavior has really started changing. So, you know, it just kind of seems like, again, like, they're they're, they're pretty weird from the beginning, so... Yeah, so the title should be, There's Something Wrong-er with the the children. Uh, Right. (laughs) <laughs> something's more wrong with the children this time. <laughs> and, and the crazy thing is, is that, you know, again, like you, you never really get a sense of where that came from either. Yeah. When you're, you're watching the film, you know, the, the parents seem more or less well adjusted. Yeah. You no, know? because again, like we don't, we don't have time to sit with the parents either. We don't yeah. really and have yeah, time the... to sit with Thomas and Ellie and figure out who they are or, how they really interact with their kids. I mean, it was like, yeah, yeah. And I even feel as far as like the Ellie and Thomas, like the foursome or whatever that they had, like, I I feel as though they, they, they spent a lot of time on that particular subject. I get that was supposed to be the reasoning why they needed some time alone from the kids. But I also feel like they didn't have to necessarily tell that whole story. It could have just been like, hey, you know, Ellie, me, me and Thomas, we haven't really had time to ourselves. So things have been a little, you know, uh, it would just be nice to have some time off from the kids. I, I feel as though having to force them wasn't necessary or, or the whole story of the foursome. And then during the argument, was it funny that he said the foursome and the two and a half some? Yes, I laughed. I chuckled. But it didn't, to me, it didn't make any of the characters, like, how did it help or hinder the characters? And to me, I don't feel as though it did. Was I supposed to feel like these people are shitty because they had a foursome and they want to still have fun? Because I really didn't. Was I supposed to be like, hell yeah, foursome, you know, like rooting for them? I don't understand why that story in how developed it was, was keen or important to the story. So that was a big thing for me. Like, okay, all right, we get it. Who cares? That's, that's, that's another thing is it's, it's really interesting that you say that because I, you know, I completely agree. Like, I really feel like they spent a lot of time kind of on that thing. And I almost feel like all of it was really just designed for that one moment where they all kind of 
four split up because they're all pissed off at each other because of, you know, what went down or whatever. It really feels like it was all just to set up that moment. Because when you, you know, you look at the story and you break it down, like it's like you said, like it doesn't really do anything for the characters and it doesn't really come back in a meaningful way later. Like it isn't like, you know, this is setting up an intimacy conflict that they have to overcome later in the story to resolve yeah. or to solve the problem. So yeah. to me, it doesn't really make sense to have that big setup. And it was also just kind of strange because, you know, again, I kind of felt the same way. Cause I'm like, what is my takeaway supposed to be here? Like, yeah. you know, I kind of felt the same way. Whereas it's like, am, am I supposed to, you know, are we supposed to think that Ellie was a shitty wife because, it seems like it was a consensual force. Yeah, it feels like, yeah, and especially the way they said it, like, yeah, Katie was sitting in, in his lap, ba back facing her. Okay, so she was probably sitting in a more sexually, you know, um, leaning way or whatever. But then, then I think they said Tom's kissed on her neck. So it feels like he started it and then she just finished. And he, I don't know, do you have impotence problems? I don't know. What is the point of this? Like, what is the point? Uh, they can just be a married couple who haven't had sex in a while because they've been busy with raising two kids and having careers of their own. What is the point of this whole foursome thing? I don't really get I now don't get me wrong. I did like the portrayal by Mr. Carlos San, Santos, who played Thomas Huerta. But also his character was weird as well for me as well. I already mentioned that with Margaret, I didn't like the flip floppy thing. And the only way I can quantify that was saying that there's some issues in the past that she had with Ben or someone in her family or something along those lines. But Thomas was a weird character as well, too, because like they seemed really close in the beginning through most of it. And then I get it. The kids happened. So you can kind of flip out. What was weird to me was like the way he was threatening with that kind of um through the teeth sort of each a kind of um don't you fucking say anything else when he said to ben then i'm thinking oh you about to pop off because he put your kids in danger but then he just walks away after um ben just mentions this thing i'm like okay then you know the oh what's the two and a half and you're like you guys are all fucked and walked away. i'm like whoa that's not the to me that's not the same reaction from a man like if you want to tell somebody shut the fuck up in a non-threatening thing, you wouldn't whisper it and say it slowly like he did. He did it in a much more threatening way and then nothing happened. But then I also thought it was weird because then at the end, another issue with Margaret and the Thomas character. And it's funny they were talking about that because I feel as though the person that I liked the most was Ellie out of everybody. Um, like I, I felt for her character more than like you said. Thomas didn't finish it, but she finished it. It was his, it felt like from the way they told the story that he kind of started it and gave the, the thumbs up. And then, you know, not granted, she shouldn't have lied about it, but, and then she lost her kid and then she did get slapped by her best friend and they were just having an argument and the best friend, Margaret, did tell all her fucking business, which she should have expected. But I feel like Ellie is the one who had it the fucking worst out of everybody and Ben, of course um but i felt more for ellie but i thought it was so weird that margaret's character like that thomas came out of the woods out of nowhere um to tackle ben and then he's like get out of here i'm like i would have been like hey bitch start the car pop this fucking door open let me run around this bitch like what are you talking about and she just drove off without him and i'm like this is fucking weird why is this happening 
She, this isn't Titanic. He could, this ain't Leo. He, Leo can fit on the raft with the girl. Like, why are you just leaving this man by himself, you know? And then she pulls off. She drives for 30 seconds, pulls off in the middle of the road and cries. Like, you better drive into that fucking gas right now. You don't know what those creatures are unless it's in your head. Unless it's unless she's the unreliable narrator. You know what I mean? But it's like, okay, so you think these kids are some crazy creatures and the whole nine, then get the fuck out of there. Why'd you stop in the middle of the road? It was so bizarre. And and so this is this is kind of the, the thing that I've you know, I have been kind of circling around is is it's like there are things that happen in this movie that feel like they happen because of the plot. Because of the plot, yes, 100%, yeah. But what is what is interesting and maybe a little funny to me is, like, for, for those listening, at least from my part, my last thoughts, uh, I think what we said earlier and about the bigger issues we had i completely wholeheartedly agree with you and feel the same way about some of the bigger issues with this i think from a technical standpoint this film is freaking fantastic fantastic i do believe there's a lot of story uh points and plots holes and things that nature that don't quite stack up uh now i will say with that being said even though you know our subjective viewpoint for me we've kind of sort of been mostly kind of cons about it pros with the tech side cons with the story elements and things of that nature i will go on record saying i still thoroughly enjoyed this film because i felt as though it was still a bit refreshing in some of the uh i guess the way they they did it and i feel and I'm just going to be completely honest with you. I know in, in the beginner part of this, I talked so much about how it had that old school 80s, 90s horror film kind of deal, where it's almost a little Steve, Stephen Kingish, you know, where it's a little on the it's not quite cheesy, but it's like, OK, you know, like, all right. For, we talked about Evil Dead, for example, classic fucking movie. I will take nothing from it. But Evil Dead. Well, it's a bit cheesy, you know what I mean? But it's still one of those classic. And I feel this one, and I'm not saying this is as good as Evil Dead, but I mean, as far as, once again, we were talking about the coloring and the score and the way it was shot, had this old horrors, old school horror film feel to me. And for me, I do feel as though some of them, I'm not talking about the greats by like Alfred Hitchcock, but a lot of some of the throwaway 80s horror films had the same kind of vibe to me where it was like, OK, that was a good watch. It all doesn't make sense, but it was enjoyable kind of, you know, horror film. And I feel as though that to me was kind of sort of its saving grace that if it didn't have that old throwback feel and vibe for me that I would have really not, I think I would have liked it a lot less, if that makes sense. I, I felt because of the way it presented itself, I already kind of sort of knew from that very, we talked about that title sequence, that weird green that I didn't really like, but it had that that Friday the 13th, as you know, that franchise, the first one, which was still probably the best out of all of them. But, you know, those Freddy Krueger, Friday 13th, they all had this cheesy, this borderline cheesy horror 
film feel. And I felt like this was harkening back to that. And I think that's why it gets a higher pass for me. If it was trying to be a contemporary horror film with all of these issues, I think I would have a bigger issue with it, if that makes sense. Having that unique, or I guess it's not unique, having that throwback feel for me is definitely what helped sold it. So more of the problematic issues I had with the film from a storytelling standpoint didn't make me hate the film, if that makes sense. So I would still say go watch it because it still had a refreshing sense, even as far as how the kids were portrayed. You know, this isn't the first time there's some creepy fucking kids doing creepy fucking shit. But I really liked the way they did it. First, these little kids. Let me tell you, um, freaking Briella. Oh, G-U-I-Z-A. Briella Goiza, who played Lucy and David Mattel. Those little kids, especially um, the one who played Lucy. Oh, my gosh. She was killing it, man. Absolutely killing it. So good. Good on her. You know what I mean? But yeah. So uh, what are your thoughts? So I think kind of where I sit with it overall is I definitely recommend giving it a watch. It is it's new, it's fresh, it's it's one of those kinds of films that it's it's definitely unique. You know, it's not it's not going to be like you know every other film that you're going to you know go to the theater and see. It's not you know it's a new it's it's not you know an old or you know adapted IP. You know, it's it's something. Love that about it's, it. It's Love a fresh it. original story. Um, I think it's a it's a blast to watch. It's fun. I totally, I, I definitely recommend giving it at least a watch through and kind of formulating your own opinions. And you know, again, like, you know, just because I, you know, I might have my own opinions. Obviously, like we're not the final word. So you know, go out. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's like I said before. You know, sometimes like uh, you know, I'm not immune to it. Like sometimes it, some of that symbolism gets lost on me. So. Yeah. Go out, see it, decide for yourself if, you know, if, you know, the the kind of sum total of it, you know, is mm. maybe, you know, just is maybe a little bit more than, you know, what I'm seeing. Um, yeah. That said, I think kind of where it sits with me is, is this is a really good watch, um, but I don't know if it's going to end up being on kind of some of my, my top lists. I don't know if it's going to be a film that you know, really stays with me or if it's going to be one that I'll reach for or, you know, go back and rewatch a bunch of times. Agreed. Um, yeah. I, is, I would not get the DVD or Blu-ray of this. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's not, you know, ultimately like, you know, it's definitely fun to kind of dissect and talk about, but I don't know if I think it's going to be a film that's, that's really going to have a lot of staying power for me. And again, I, I think that's just because that, you know, there's, there's kind of all of these holes you know, that, that make it not watertight, you know, that make it not airtight. And so, you know, again, being that there's way too many questions that are just left unanswered that, that I can't think of answers to in my head and that are answered Mm. by the film, you know, it's, it's not really one that's going to leave me chewing so much as it's one that's going to leave me, you know, one that's kind of left me being like, well, I don't really understand, you know, I don't really understand why people did what they did or why certain things happened. You know, it, it doesn't really yeah. make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, you know, it's I certainly don't want to say I don't recommend it. There's super solid performances all across the board, especially mm, yeah. the child actors. I mean, they oh, my God, killing it, man, knocked out of the park. I mean, they're both. Yeah. 
powerhouses. They're super creepy, super fun. Um, yeah, it's it's a fun atmospheric film. Um, technically, it's it's well shot. Um, you know, aside from a couple of small gripes I had with the editing, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's solid editing. It's a tight ninety. The pacing's great. I mean, there's not an ounce of fat on it. Yeah, it, it never. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it never drags. Like, you know. So again, like, I I definitely recommend giving it a watch through and, and kind of coming up with your own opinions. I just, like I said, I don't know if it's it's one of those ones that's gonna <laughs> you know that's gonna make it's that all time kind of list. It's not going to go to the Criterion Collection. Got it. <laughs> to to Chance's <laughs> Criterion Collection. Right. Yeah. All righty. Well, you know what? I greatly appreciate it. That's going to wrap us up here um, for There's Something Wrong with the Children. Um, I completely agree with everything that Chance just said. Um, art is subjective, so go out and watch it. I will honestly agree. Like I said, go out and watch it. I will tell you one thing unequivocally. And I enjoyed this so much more than the fucking nun. I, the nun too. Oh, and I got it on a cheap day with cheap tickets. And I was like, fuck this. I want to walk out. I had a beer in hand. It didn't even help it. I was, I, and it was one of those things that it was the scares were jump, just nothing but a bunch of boring jump scares. It was predictable. Like it was predictable with plot holes and stupid shit. And it, and it was just shot from a technical standpoint. Meh. Yeah, there's a lot of camera moves and shit that just didn't make sense. God, that movie was fucking awful. Anyways, um, so it was not as bad as that. And like you said, I would agree. I don't think it's up there like with, for me, like I said, It Follows is one of my favorite, more contemporary horror films, period, you know, without a doubt. And that's not, you know, of course, we're talking, you know, Get Out and and Us or whatever. But I mean, from a... a indie feel type of deal it follows was fantastic and i don't think there's a lot of films as strong as that one Uh, it follows the witch was fantastic so but i think those some of those indie feeling horror low budget kind of deals are so hit and miss you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and i do think it's because horror is a hard genre to do really well and like a lot of my short films are horror beginning because i knew the challenge that it was because of the expectation of horror and it is a delicate balancing act with pacing and story and payoff is similar to comedy like you got to have a premise to set up a payoff and your lighting and your sound design and it's a very hard genre to get right off the bat I'm not saying it's impossible because clearly people have done it, but it's a a hard one to do. And I think because it is one of those genres with so many stereotypical tropes that it's almost hard to like in order to try to make something unique, you have to avoid those pitfalls of those stereotypical tropes. But there's so many that if you do too much, then it's bad. And if you do want, you know what I mean? If that is a, it's a tightrope balance with these horror films, a lot of times. Absolutely. And, and I think it's something that you and I have kind of talked about before a little bit. It's something that we've kind of discussed in a previous conversation is, is, mm. you know, horror and comedy both work, you know, what makes a horror work and what makes a comedy work is the same thing. And it's subversion, mm-hmm. you know, yes. Horror works the same way a joke works where, you know, you oh, set yeah. up for a, and then punchline is B. 
Yep. You know, you, you think you're going one direction, you end up going a different direction. And I think that's when horror is at its most effective. So when horror mm-hmm. isn't subverting your expectations, I think that's when horror is less effective. And I think that that's why, you know, even though there's, you know, some kind of issues with this movie, you know, on, you know, maybe a story or a plot level or a writing level, I think that's one of the things that makes this movie, you know, particularly effective is, mm. is that even when you're watching it, it does have a way of kind of subverting your expectations. Yes. Yeah. And like you said, I think the technical aspects of that film help more so than dialogue and story. But yeah, comp- yeah, 100 percent. So, yeah. But once again, this is also an important factor, you know, like film is the show don't tell um, medium. So from like reading dialogue, there was no dialogue in here that I thought was award winning whatsoever. I thought it was kind of predictable and a little chunky at times, um, not to the point that it turned me off, but it wasn't it was. And, you know, you have to be careful, especially in films like because a lot of films with great dialogue weirdly enough isn't really how people talk (laughs) if that like it was i was watching a a whole video about this and it was like some of the best dialogue writers the the aaron sorkins and the quentin tarantinos if you really listen to it and as much as we love to you know expound upon how good of dialogue writers they are which they are it's not really how people talk it's rhythmic and almost musical in its nature it's a weird freaking thing that happens but yeah this dialogue was not good at all but i do think that technical prowess that the dp and editors and everything else other than you know some of the the moments that we talked about that kind of broke you up i think it helped sell the movie more than anything else which helps when you're doing horror so (laughs) but yeah so um last question before i go sir what movie do you have or should I say, is there a movie that's coming out that you look forward to watching? Oh, that's such a good question. The I feel like the the release list is so short for the rest of this year. Like, I, you know, I was looking the other day and I just couldn't. I was like, man, what all is coming yeah. out this year? I Ooh, think it's going to be even it's going to be even worse next year once all these strike days adds up. Oh, for people God. who are listening to this in the future, in twenty twenty three, we had a hundred and. 41 or something 50 something day writers strike so we had an unprecedented thing i think the last time it happened was like 40 50 years ago where the writers and the actors both were on strike at the same time the writers went for like a month before the actors the writers are now back to work but the actors aren't yet so in the next six months um these studios are going to be hurting for new content so it's going to be a lovely you know first half or year next year is going to be rough man it's going to be so a rough one buckle up and get ready to watch some old movies friends uh, <laughs> i know right go ahead this is all you're gonna see in the movie theaters yeah movie theaters 35th release of jaws and all these <laughs> other things <laughs> but yeah so i'm sorry so yeah what what okay out of the very shallow pool of things possibly <laughs> coming down the pipeline anything you see or are excited about uh dune part two um I, oh yes huge huge oh my god so you know what i i declare it now unless for some reason um one of us change into a changeling that i'll have you back for dune too um oh yes because yes i fucking love denny villainy like (laughs) everything that man does is freaking amazing man i watched arrival 
which is the first thing I seen from him, and I was thrown to the floor and i was trying to other people and here's the thing i went in there watching that one because the trailers kind of showed it like a and i felt like oh this is new independence day right so i go watch it in like the smallest theater i'm like okay that's weird it's already in a small theater a lot of people not watching this and it was not it was nothing like the teasers and trailers it was mm-hmm. so much better so much better and there was people with me and then it's you know when the the credits roll you hear people talking like oh, that wasn't what i was expecting and a lot of people, because of their expectation from the trailers, went in thinking it was something else. And I loved it because they're like, oh, this isn't a movie about aliens, guys. It's not. It's a human. I mean, it's a movie about humans and human nature and what we're ready for and how we act and how we still, no matter all our technological advances, are still primitive in our thought process. And I walked away from that movie loving Arrival. And I was hooked on him ever since. So in Dune, like I watched the first Dune years ago the old one and i was like what the fuck is this i don't get this (laughs) i don't understand it's weird and then denny's version came out and because i love him i was like all right let's go i think if somebody else had just remade remade i don't know if i wouldn't would have went to go watch it but he did it and i was like holy shit this is good cannot wait so yeah (laughs) i second that so yeah we're gonna have okay we'll have you on for oh my god that's gonna be we're gonna have to make sure to time ourselves (laughs) With that one, because I'm pretty sure that movie's gonna be like four hours long. <laughs> That's gonna be a good one. Oh man, I'm excited about it. You just got me excited. Okay, cool. So yeah, anyway, guys, um, thank you so much. Thank you, Chance, for stopping by here with Flicks and Scripts with Jay Starks. I greatly appreciate your your mind and your input. You definitely opened my mind some things I didn't think about with this movie, but that's the point of this podcast. Um, so yeah, thank you for stopping by. We'll make sure to have you by again, definitely for Dune. And I think once we get to a nice point with above my pay grade and you know if it's out especially maybe once we release it then we'll have you on with some of the other people and we do like a little special episode or something oh absolutely that sound I'm, cool i'm super looking forward to it thanks for having me so much i i, I so enjoy talking about movies so it's so much fun to, to just get oh on and, and just and just go yeah like guys like i know we've been talking for a hot little minute here um but when we've been in face to face this is kind of we may not talk for three hours about a movie but this is literally the kind of i mean we have other conversations as well but if we start talking about films then it's the, it's the fucking end of whatever the hell else was happening so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so thank you everybody for listening in on this week's episode of flicks and scripts with jay starks um once again as i always say you know filmmaking is a community collective thing it takes a vill- it literally is one of the the few art forms that takes a village everybody can't do one person can't do everything you know so no matter what your your talent is i don't care if you're a writer if you're an actor if you're a musician go out and make art share with the world man because art is love thank you guys for listening